Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. From where we've come. We forget that there was a period of time that we were under condemnation. We forget that it's only in Christ Jesus that we are freed. Oh, Lord, please forgive us for that. Father, forgive us for coming here to a church on a Sunday morning, not thinking of glorifying your son, not thinking of his blood-bought work on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us for coming to this service if we come, forgetting the work of your spirit who regenerated us, who drew us, who transforms us, who connects us with your son in a vital union, and who is at work even this morning. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation. I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that uh, when the New Testament was written, and in fact all of the books of the Bible were written, none of them had chapter or verses. It was one long letter. This book of Romans would be one long letter. We have it in 16 chapters. It would have been one long letter that would have been read. It would have been brought to the church at Rome. And somebody would have stood up and read this long letter to the congregation from the Apostle Paul. So where we have a chapter that begins, it always is interesting that a chapter begins with the word therefore, because the word therefore reminds us of something that happened previously. There's a connection that happened previously here. So this chapter begins, there is therefore now no condemnation. So what is the therefore? What is the transition here? What is the transformation that is occurring? Would you look back with me to Romans chapter 1? In Romans chapter 1, Paul is laying out for us a statement. He is giving a theological statement to us. He is telling the Roman church, but he is also telling us today, 2,000 years ago, what the gospel is. In fact, his statement here, his pivotal statement that he is going to try to argue through this book is found in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1. It is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what the Apostle Paul is laying out is his thesis statement right from the beginning. That there is a righteousness that God demands. And the righteousness that God demands is the righteousness that he offers us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that we receive that righteousness through faith. That God's demand does not change. His expectation does not change. He has offered you this gospel message. It is a gospel message that is a powerful gospel message. It said it's the power of God for salvation. As we will look in Romans chapter 8, we will find that we are struggling under two major problems. We have a major problem of the fact that there's a legal problem that we have outside of Christ. We are condemned. And there's a moral problem outside of Christ. We are corrupt. 
and these two elements, our condemnation and our corruption, make us weak, incapable, unable to do anything about achieving the salvation that is ours only in Christ. If you're familiar with the text in Romans, Paul then starts to lay out his argument like a good lawyer. He starts here in verse 18 of chapter 1, and he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He doesn't say some unrighteousness. He doesn't say some ungodliness. He says all unrighteousness, all ungodliness. God's wrath is being built up day after day after day on this type of person. Verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, but God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of this world and the things that have been made, so that men are without excuse. In Romans chapter 3, he tells us that we will be silent before the judgment seat of God. They will not be able to give any excuse for the condemnation that we are under, and we will not be able to give any excuse for the corruption or contamination that is in our lives outside of Christ. Verse 21 tells us, For although they, and this is the world, everyone in general, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him as God. If you boil it down, my uh, my friends, that God demands to be glorified. God deserves to be glorified. It's interesting that when God created and when God gave us the word of God, he didn't start with the triune God from all of eternity. He started in the beginning, God created. And why did he begin with creation? He began with the creation because he wanted to tell us that there is a creator and therefore we are creatures. We are subordinate to him and that everything that follows is a byproduct of needing to follow his rules, needing to submit to his will, and ultimately needing to glorify him. So what the world does, all of us do, is we fail to glorify God as God and we fail to be graceful to God, grateful for what he's done and thankful for what he's done. And God's wrath is being built up day after day after day for that type of person. In Romans chapter 2, he talks about the religious person. In 1, he's talking about this just worldly person. In Romans chapter 2, he talks about this religious person, a person that sits in a church on a Sunday morning, a person that gives money in an offering basket, a person that prays or reads the Bible. And he says that if you are banking on your salvation based on the things that you do, you will come up short. Because unless you are perfect, unless you have achieved perfect righteousness, you do not have the power or the standard to be saved. In Romans chapter 3, he nails it down with this statement in Romans 3, 10 and following. You're familiar with this passage. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. You hear that word, all. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouths are full of bitterness and cursing. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path is ruin and misery. The way of peace They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's interesting that when we, when you hear a gospel message today, 
Most people start with the good news of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. And they preach this good news of God loves all people and God wants to save all people and God wants to bless you. And he loves you infinitely. How many people begin a gospel message that Paul begins by telling us how sinful we are and how much wrath we are under outside of Christ? How many people begin a gospel message by preaching law to people and telling them that you cannot fulfill the law in your own abilities? It is only when you receive the bad news that you turn to the good news. A good friend of mine recently just received a a diagnosis of cancer. They hear the diagnosis of cancer, and then what do they do? They turn to the doctor and tell me, what can I do about this cancer? It is only after you hear the bad news that you need to hear the good news. So Paul is taking these first several chapters to tell us that there's a bad news that we have. But if you look at verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, but now, but now, I think I preached a sermon on just this phrase, but now, about two or three years ago here. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, meaning apart from your own ability, apart from your works. Although the law and the prophets, that means the Old Testament, bears witness to it. The righteousness of God through what? Faith. In who? Jesus Christ. For all who believed. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace. Justified means that you are declared right in his sight in Christ. By his grace, which means it's an unmerited favor. As a gift, it is given to you if you trust in him. Through redemption, which means that you have been freed and liberated in Christ. That is in Christ who God put forward, my version says, as a propitiation. Your version may say it as an atoning sacrifice. It means that Christ bore the wrath of God deserved for you. He bore your hell on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ if you trust in him. Propitiation by his blood to be received by what? Faith. Now jump back with me to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. In light of the fact that God is the creator, in light of the fact that God is holy, in light of the fact that God demands righteousness, in light of the fact that we fall short day after day, in light of the fact that you and I were born with a corrupt nature, and then on top of that we sin every single day in thought, word, attitude, and action, God has given you an amazing grace. The amazing grace is, there is, therefore, now, no condemnation. I am borrowing from a sermon by James Montgomery Boyce on these numbers. I want you to consider just four numbers this morning. The number four, the number three, the number two, and the number one. Okay? Four, three, two, one. Four. Four words. Four words from this text here. Therefore, as we've talked about before, the word therefore is a connecting word. It connects back to everything that has been spoken about before, everything that has been spoken about previously. 
Therefore, we were under condemnation. We were under his wrath. We have nothing in our ability to do about it. We have no power to transformation. We have no ability to make ourselves pleasing before our holy God. Therefore, second word, now. That's a beautiful word to me. I don't have to, as some religions look and they wait to the end of their lives and they think that they've done just enough or maybe they haven't done enough and they they sit in wearisome and they're worried on their deathbed because they're not sure of what that God that they look to is going to think about them. What Christianity says to you and to me is that you can have freedom now. Today is the day of salvation. You can have freedom right now. There for there is now at this moment in time. Some of you today are struggling with guilt. Some of you today are struggling with fear. Some of you today are struggling with the question of whether God loves you. This chapter of Romans 8, I challenge you to read it. I challenge you to saturate your mind on it because this whole chapter was given to you to remind you that God loves those who are in Christ Jesus. He empowers those who are in Christ Jesus. He will never be separated from those who are in Christ Jesus. He offers you no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, now at this moment in time, third word, no. Now in our English text, we can't really pick this up. But in the Greek, this word is like, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? It's not just simply no condemnation. It's kind of like when I tell my son, no, and then there is no, no, no. What God is promising you in Christ is that there is no, no, no condemnation. And that moves to our fourth word. Therefore, now, no condemnation. The reason why I read uh, verses 1 through 11 is the fact that I believe that what Scripture teaches, and I know this is uncomfortable for many, is that there are only two classes of people in this world. What we've attempted to do in Christianity is to make three classes of people. Class number one is the non-believer. Class number two is the believer who accepts Christ as Savior, but that's it. Class number three is the person who has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And that this third class of person has now received a second infilling of the Holy Spirit, has been transformed. The first person has gotten their fire insurance, but the second person is really moving towards heaven. And what this passage tells me, and if you read scripture, it says that is only two classes of people in this world. Those that are in Christ or those that are in the flesh. Those that are condemned or those that are justified. Those that are in the spirit and those that are not in the spirit. It tells us in verse 5, if you look with me in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. The mentality of a carnal person is flesh. It says in verse 6 here, For those who set their minds on the flesh is death. The destiny of the carnal person is death. 
It says in verse 7 that the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. The position of the carnal person is that they are hostile to God. In verse 7 again, it says that not only are they hostile, they do not submit to God's law. It goes on to say that indeed they cannot submit to God's law. And further on, it says that the carnal person cannot please God. You know, my fear is, my brothers and sisters, my friends, this morning is that we preach a message this morning, we preach a message in churches today, that give people the confidence that because you prayed one prayer 50 years ago, and there has been no transformation in your life, no desire for God in his word, no desire for the glory of Christ, no fruit in your life, that you were saved. And my brothers and sisters, my friends, the concern is this from Scripture, is that that is foreign to Scripture. My wife planted two plants outside our room, hanging plants. Uh, You know, plants above ground, right? So you have one on one stake and one on another. One is a strawberry plant and the other one is a tomato plant. Now, on the tomato plant, if you look at the two of them, when they began, they looked exactly the same. And they started to grow. Now, the one on the right, the strawberry plant, has wilted. There's never been a bud on it. It has produced nothing. The one on the left, the tomato plant, has produced buds. And now tomatoes, they were green. And now they've turned red. And you see that there is life there. There is therefore now no condemnation talks about your justification. You were set apart from Christ. Set apart in Christ, I should say. But the contamination and the corruption, he talks about the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. There should be a transformation that occurs. My brothers and sisters, I I am concerned that we preach a weak gospel today. But it says in verse 9, which I already read, you, however, are not in the flesh, But in the Spirit, for in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is breaking down, dying because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit. So if the mentality of the carnal person is flesh, the mentality of the Christian person is the spirit. If the destiny of the carnal person is death, the destiny of the Christian person, according to verse 6, is life and peace. And though it's not mentioned specifically in this passage, the position of the Christian person is peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore there is now peace for those who are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God if you know him. Psalm 1 tells us that the word in the Christian person, instead of not submitting to his word, we delight in his word. 1 Corinthians tells us that we have the ability to say no to sin. We have the ability to do his word in Christ and in his Holy Spirit. And in Christ, you and I are pleasing in in his sight. There is therefore now no condemnation. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. It's a familiar story. 
John chapter 8. Back up to 53 of chapter 7, it says, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Verse 2. Early the next morning he came to the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded that we stone such a woman. So what do you say? It's a trap. What they want to try to do is to make Christ look unloving. They figure that if Christ lets her off the hook, quote unquote, guess what happens? He looks like he is defaming the Old Testament. He is shaming the Old Testament. He's demeaning the Old Testament. But if he calls for her condemnation, they believe and that she will be stoned in front of him that they believe that people will leave him because he seems unloving and ungracious. So they're trying to trap the Lord Jesus Christ. But you're familiar with the story. Verse 6, they said that to test him, that they may have some charge to bring up against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. I always wondered what he wrote. Verse 7, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin, let him who is without sin, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, which is interesting. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now sin no more. And do you see the connection that is here, that Jesus Christ, who is, the, who is God, is able to forgive sins. He forgave her sin. Looking forward to his cross, he was going to take her condemnation for her guilt. She is a guilty sinner, worthy of physical death and worthy of eternal death. But Christ took that condemnation upon himself. And not only did he tell her to stop, uh, to believe in the condemnation-freeing work of Christ, he told her to leave her life of sin. Condemnation should lead to a transformation in life. So here's the message, my brothers and sisters. There are some of us who sit here this morning who are banking on a prayer but are not delighting in Christ. You must delight in Christ. That's the whole goal of Christianity. There are some here today that are banking on a prayer but you don't spend any time in the Word It needs to be the word that gives you the mind of the spirit that lives within you. You must be in the word. There are some who are banking on a prayer, but they're not living a life of obedience. Romans 8 is an assurance for those who are in Christ. If there is fruit in your life, the byproduct of that fruit is the work of the spirit. 
If you love the Lord your God, Christ, that's the work of the Spirit. If you love the Word, that's a work of the Spirit. If you are growing in Christ-likeness, that's a work of the Spirit. And that is a confirmation that there is no condemnation, and that's a confirmation that there is no separation from His love. I told you that there were four words. Therefore, now, no condemnation. I tell you that there are three agents that are here. I'll give this to you to look through this week. But if you read this passage again in Romans 8, you will see that it's not only the Father who's at work here, God. You will see not only is it Jesus Christ who is at work here, who died for you and lived for you, but it is the Holy Spirit who brings you to faith. It is the Holy Spirit who regenerates dead people. It is the Holy Spirit that opens blind eyes. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you the very word. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to live in freedom. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives you the assurance that there is therefore now no condemnation. Four words, therefore, now, no condemnation. Three agents, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There are two works that are here. The two works that are here is that you and I have been saved from the penalty of sin. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will never, ever, ever, ever have to stand before God and be condemned for eternity because of your sin. No, no, no condemnation. You have been freed from the penalty of sin. But even more than that, the second work here is that you've been freed from the power of sin in your life, my brothers and sisters. You have been set free. Free to live like Christ. Free to live in peace. Free to live in hope. Free to live in healing. Free to live in joy. In Christ. Four words. Therefore, now, no condemnation. Three agents, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Two works. You have been set free from the penalty of sin. You have been set free from the power of sin. One goal, Christ-likeness, holiness, that God wants to bring a people holy, acceptable, loved uh, from all nations, from all tribes, from all colors, from all tongues, from all places. He wants to bring a people to himself that are going to represent him in this world and then in eternity. Condemnation is a foreign concept today. But freedom is not. We need to preach truth to people. We need to live truth in front of people. And we need to know that Christ has done all the work for us. In closing, I want to ask you to consider this, my brothers and sisters, my friends. I know that as I look out at a congregation of people here this morning, I would pretty much guarantee that there are some people in this room who have never placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have never bent their knee to Christ. I can tell you on the authority of his word that you stand under condemnation. I can tell you on the authority of his word 
that God is not pleased. I can tell you on the authority of his word that you will stand in judgment one day before that holy God. And I can tell you on the authority of his word that all of your works will fall short of the glory that he demands. And I can tell you on the authority of his word that if you bend your knee to him today, you could be set free. You could be freed. No condemnation. You could walk out of here freer than you ever have been in your life. Struggles, yes. Pain, yes. Suffering, yes. But free, yes. And I could tell you, brothers and sisters, those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have sat at his feet, who have loved him, and maybe we have drifted from him. Maybe our heart has become cold. Maybe our prayers have become cold. And maybe we read the word and we just don't see it any longer. I, I tell you that you've been freed. You've been freed from the penalty. You've been freed and given power. And you can live in that freedom today. Live in that freedom Bask in that freedom. One last thing. We often begin our prayers with praise to the Father. And that is correct. Oftentimes we give praise, and we should, to the Son. He is the one that lived the life that has been credited to us, and he is the one that died the death that we deserve. And that is right. But how often is it, my brothers and sisters, that you love the Holy Spirit. When was the last time that you praised the Holy Spirit? When was the last time that you thanked the Holy Spirit? Because it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the word. It's the Holy Spirit that confronts us. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit that regenerated us. It's the Holy Spirit that connects us in vital union to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who is going to transform us and change us and bring us to hope and healing. It is the Holy Spirit that will make sure that you get it from here to heaven and never leave it. It is the Holy Spirit who does all of that for you. And he wants to do that for you this morning. Praise the Holy Spirit. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Father, I don't know if we realize how precarious our life was without your Son. Father, we live in this world and there's such freedom that you've given us in the United States and I praise you for that. Yet, Father, we go day by day not realizing that there will be a day of accountability. There will be a day of judgment. All of us will in this room. For some of us in this room, Father, the sad reality is, is because we've never placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've never bent our knee to your Son we will spend eternity outside of your presence, under your wrath. The beauty, Father, though, for the vast majority of us, I would assume, in this room, is that we will stand before God not because we made a wise choice, but because your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for us, and all glory and praise will go to him. And, Father, if we make it to the end, and we will, it's because your, your Spirit has begun a good work in us and will complete it. 
Help us to leave here in joy. Help us to leave here in assurance. Help us to leave here in hope. And help us to tell the greatest message of hope and healing that we could ever share with the world. Help us to do that with boldness today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.